Hi everyone. So we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews today and we're actually just a few weeks out of finishing it up. And it has been such a gift from God for us, I think, because if there's one thing that we've needed in this season, it has been encouragement to endure. And if there's one person that we have needed to be reminded of again and again, it is Jesus. And that's what this book is all about. And so today we get to look to Jesus again. We're in Hebrews 12, and if you've been reading along and rooted with us this week, then you'll know we've spent this week going through Hebrews 11. I mean, that biblical walk of fame that Thomas spoke about last week. And every day this week, we've been reading those heralds of by faith, by faith, by faith. And so this chapter that we're in today, it's not separate from that, but it is a culmination to what has gone before. If Hebrews 11 taught us anything, it's that we're not alone Hebrews 12 confirms it. We are not on our own. A cloud of witnesses behind us, a loving Father drawing us forward. So let's read together. It says Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone goes on, undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So this is a section of scripture which is is kind of in two halves. In the first half, we have this glorious culmination of all the things we've learned, all the people we can learn from in this walk of faith. And then in the second half from verse four, the writer takes a much more practical approach. In light of all this then, how do we live? So let's take a walk back through it and see what God might say to us and show us today. Let's look at the very first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I mean, this is such a supremely encouraging verse to us because it can be really easy to feel alone in our walk with Jesus. Even if we go to church, even if we're in a community, we can feel in a lot of moments like we're just trudging on by ourselves. Just as with everything else, trying to kind of get on with it. The writer here wants those reading to know you are not alone. 
you have each other, yes, but you are part of a lineage of many others. Your family is much bigger than what you see around you right now. As a follower of Jesus, you are held up by those who have gone before you. You stand on the faith of Abraham. You stand on the faith of Sarah and Moses and Rahab and the many names that you could add to that list yourself. This cloud of witnesses that we read here, it's like the cloud the, the crowd at a, a marathon, you know, cheering you on whether they know you or not, simply for putting one foot in front of the other. The writer goes on, because of this foundation of faith that you stand on and are surrounded by, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is really decisive language here. Let us throw off. Let us run. And this imagery is used for precisely the reason that you think it's used. I mean, it's really obvious. There was this one time I was running for a bus and it's the only kind of running that I partake in. And I was, I had a really heavy bag on my back and that is an important part of the story. I was going to the airport, I was late and I was very stressed. You know when you're running for a bus and, and you kind of keep having to do that kind of turn and check thing to see, like you're still running forward, but you have to look behind you to see if the bus is coming yet. Well, I was I was doing that and, and I thought that the bus that I needed was just about to pull up at the stop that was very near to me. And in a feat of sheer acrobatic wonder, I turned my head and I stuck up my hand to signal the bus and due to the weight of my very heavy bag, I promptly fell over right in the street, like a little turtle on my back. And I hurt myself and it was really embarrassing. And it turns out that it wasn't even the right bus. So fun for me. The moral of the story is, it is really hard to run whenever you are carrying something heavy. Your balance is way off, as I learned the hard way. The writer here is making that exact point. Sin constricts your movement. Whether it's pride or anger or lust or ego or big lies or white lies or whatever, sin is heavy and it constricts your movement and it puts you way off balance. The language here is not feel very bad about that thing that you struggle with and keep piling on the guilt as you struggle with it. No, it's throw it off. Take action in the name of Jesus against the things that are tripping you up and joyously throw them off because addiction will consume you and it will tie us down with guilt and fear and shame and gossip causes division and disunity and disrupts our our maturity as believers following Jesus together but we can throw it off. Take action against these things and throw off whatever is hindering us. This is a moment of direct application because God wants you to have full range of motion so you are able to keep pressing on. The writer calls it um, a race here and that can sometimes be a little bit misleading. It can kind of make it seem like it's a competition but be careful not to think that. 
It's not a competition to see who can run the fastest or the best. It's not a competition towards a finish line. It's a decisive, focused, patient and enduring movement towards a person. Jesus. Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer is saying here, in light of all this, because you're not alone, because you don't have to be weighed down anymore, keep your eyes on Jesus. Number one, because he is the pioneer. You are running in his wake He went first. He has blazed the trail for you already. What they were facing, what you are facing, Jesus has faced. You can run this race because Jesus has run it before you. And number two, because he is the perfecter. He gave himself up for you. He endured torture and pain, great suffering, barrelfuls of shame for their freedom and for yours. And he didn't just endure and get through it. He endured and was victorious. There are plenty of things that you can consider that will help you in your journey of faith. And there are plenty of things that you can consider that will distract you endlessly. But the one way that you will keep your head up and your heart strong, like Hannah said a few weeks ago, is not by beating yourself into submission and just getting through. It's by fixing your eyes on Jesus. So in all the many other things that you are considering, clear a whole lot of ground to consider Jesus. Don't let anything get in the way of that. He is the only one who will keep your head up and your heart strong, or as the writer says here, so that you won't lose heart and grow weary. And we could easily finish there. We're not going to, just FYI. And you should absolutely allow these incredible words to bolster and strengthen you, to lift you up where you really need it. But the writer continues. And the second part is just as important because here it gets a little bit more personal. Following a herald of, you know, believe, you can do it, keep going, look what Jesus did, comes a second part and a crucial part, which is God's very real involvement in our lives. God is not just an honorary guest at the end of your race, handing out a medal or two with no real investment in the journey you have been on. He is deeply invested, intimately connected, choosing to insert himself right in the middle of our lives with intention. Reminds me of this YouTube clip that I saw once. It was the result of one of those like, do you know those YouTube black holes that you fall into and an hour has passed and now you're weeping watching people returning from the military being reunited with their dogs? It was one of those. It's very emotional. This was one of those times, but this time it wasn't 
um, military reunions with animals, it was a video of a gymnastics competition. I don't know why, that's just, that's what it was. And it was this, the reason that it had six million views, so it wasn't just me, was because this little kid shot down the line like at full speed to do crazy leaps and, and her whole routine and she totally misjudged her landing and nearly fell and it was like gasps from the audience. It could have been very, very bad, but right at the last second her coach leapt in and caught her and it was just such high drama. But the reason, as I was watching it, I was like, man, that was some swift work. But the reason he could leap in was because he knew her routine and her technique inside out. And also, he was paying attention. I think that's the kind of involvement that God wants to have in our lives. The kind of involvement that is paying attention, that is in the ring. And God is not just our coach, you know, making a penny off the classes we attend or the competitions we enter. Look how we are described here as sons and daughters. He has a deeply vested interest in each of us as his children. The one who is in the ring with you is not just there to tell you all the time that you're doing a great job and you're amazing although they do do that a good portion of the time. But that is not their sole job. Maybe you think that's harsh. Do you know how I know that? I know it because I've seen those people that go on shows like The X Factor who have a lot of enthusiasm, but very little actual talent to speak of. And their mom and their grandma and everyone else under the sun with no instruction having been present in their life thus far has told them that they have a wonderful voice and that they can make it big with a voice like that until they go on these shows and then in this really cruel way they get laughed off the stage as the scales fall from their eyes and all their dreams of stardom are shattered by Simon Cowell and a room full of people jeering. Because they weren't really very good at singing after all. And they likely were not made for this stage. But you know, they could have been better. With a little instruction, with a little graft, they could have improved bit by bit. How do I know that? Because in another life, I am also a singing teacher. Everyone can sing. Some people can just sing better than others. But everyone can get better. From where you are, it just takes some discipline. It just takes some discipline. It would be really nice to stop at verse 3 in chapter 12 and bask in the great cloud of witnesses. But the writer continues, here we have this loving father who is beckoning us forward and he starts to talk about what love looks like in our real lives. And sometimes love looks like discipline. It's a writer, um, a theologian called Tom Wright, and in his writing about this passage, he says this, It may come as a shock to many Christians to discover that there lies ahead of them a life in which God, precisely because he is treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us, will refuse to let us get away forever with rebellion or folly, with sin or stupidity. He has his ways of alerting his children to the fact that they should either pause and think again or turn around and go in the opposite direction or get down on their knees and repent. Some people may be shocked to think of God being involved in such comparative trivia. 
All I can say is that I'd rather be in the hands of a father than a distant, faceless, careless bureaucrat. Why does it matter that God's love in our lives looks like discipline at times? It matters because it's another reminder that just like we aren't left on our own, but are surrounded by that great cloud, we also aren't left to our own devices. God has a purpose for our lives and a plan for us and he is active in bringing it out of us. It says that right there in the end in verse 11, those who have been trained by it. We are being trained for something. Not just because God wants to keep us busy, but because we are invited to cooperate with him in the plans and purposes that he believes we are fit for. Now, let's have a reality check. Does this mean that every hardship you experience and everything you suffer, every bad thing that happens is just God wielding his measuring rod of discipline and you simply have to bow under the weight of it? No, of course not. Because we live in the world and we are not immune to bad things happening to us. I mean, 2020, anyone? This is not some kind of holy corporal punishment. But we also just read the cost. Jesus endured the cross, endured that shame, suffered that violent death, suffered such opposition. This is the price that was paid and it was not in vain. God is deeply involved in in our lives. He cares how we turn out. This salvation is not once and done. It is an ongoing thing. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We are being saved. It is ongoing which means how I live now, how you live now matters. It matters to God. And he's not watching from afar with judgment. He is in the ring with you, training you, sometimes through discipline. This passage is is one of those kind of roundabout encouragements. If we look at verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, which I think is, you know, pretty obvious. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, which means sometimes it's going to hurt and it's okay to say that it hurts. You don't have to pretend. Later on, however, which means it might take some time, later on it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by what does that mean? That's that's his big conclusive moment. It produces a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What does that mean? I think this is about God making us ready, not just for the here and now, but also for the world to come and to be bringers of peace in the midst of it all. This moment of discipline, when we feel we're being stretched in something, we're being stretched for something. That is the encouragement here. It's not in vain. It won't be in vain. 
even if you cannot see any possible good that will come from this, if that is nowhere near your sightline, right now fix your eyes on Jesus. Our truth that we hold to, this promise that we cleave to, is that it will not be in vain. The discipline of God, full of love and for our good, is like the trowel piercing the ground with its sharp edge, breaking up that which is hard and unyielding in us, turning around and around, sometimes in a tumult that which isn't ready to bear fruit yet, but will be someday with some work, and creating a ground in us, ready for seed, to be pushed in by loving hands and tended by a loving Father towards growth that will go far beyond any of us. You see, this is how we got to be surrounded by such a great crowd. They endured with patience the suffering, the discipline, the jagged moments, the hard stretches, not just for the fulfillment of the promise here and now, which sometimes comes and sometimes doesn't, but for the fulfillment of the eternal promise of life with Jesus, which is unfading and unfailing forever. That is why we keep our eyes fixed on him. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, where there are places of hardship and suffering in our lives that feel like great stretches, where we at times will feel pushed to our limit, will you show us which ones of those are your discipline, in your love that is pressing and pushing us onward into something new. Where you are breaking up the hard and unyielding things within us and making us ready to bear fruit. Will you show us that process? God, we thank you that you are involved in our lives where we have shut you out. Will you give us courage to open up again? And God, I ask as well that where we are, are aware of that sin that is constricting movement within us, in your grace and in your mercy, will you come and help us to throw it off? claiming the freedom that we have in Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.